They've been a terrifying part of Dungeons and Dragons for almost half a century. They have been named the seventh most memorable D&D monster. Recently, they have been called one of the nine scariest, most unforgettable monsters from Dungeons and Dragons. But that's not all. They've been counted among the 13th most powerful D&D monsters ever created. We are, of course, talking liches. This week on the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Support the Dungeon Masters Dojo by heading over to Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and leave a review. Take the time to leave a comment as well. This helps make us more searchable to those listeners interested in content such as ours. But more importantly, we want to know how we are doing and what topics you would like to hear about. Another way you can support the DMD is with a small monthly donation so we can continue to deliver quality content to you, our listeners. This also helps us to upgrade and replace equipment. Head over to Anchor to the Dungeon Masters Dojo page and click the support button. And now, onto this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Masters Dojo Podcast. This is a show for game masters, as well as experienced and new players alike. We hope to bring you the tools needed to not only be a great GM, but to help you develop as a player. I'm your host, Louis Aponte. Our stars of the show are Scott Labby and Bill Robotile. Let's enter the dojo and see what both Bill and Scott have in store for us today. Bill, Scott, how's everything going? I am so looking forward to talking about dead magic users that have died several times over. Let's not forget about the dead clerics as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, give them, you know. Give, give them, them a nod as well. A little, a little love. So, the Lich. There's no better monster to discuss during October than the Lich. There sure isn't. Uh, they are the ultimate undead villain. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well put. Well put. E- even more so than the mummies or vampires. Yeah, they're, they're, they're on the top of the undead pile. Um. <laughs> That's <laughs> Okay, let's get started. <laughs> I I always think of here we, here we go. I'm I am going to write an adventure which features a spoiler alert, kids, an adventure that features a, a lich as kind of like the um the the big bad. But I I'm torn between whether or not I'm going to model my lich after uh, Keith Richards or Steven Tyler. I think both of them make some fine like lich material, right? No, no. Here, here's here's what it, it's like a uh, it's like a rock and roll D and D adventure with the big bad guy being like the Steven Tyler lich or the Keith Richards lich. They qualify as undead. So. Yeah, you know, like a you know the whole party's uh, a bunch of traveling bards, <laughs> right? They play different. They're a band. Yeah. You know, and maybe they got maybe they got a roadie. Maybe their manager's played by Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> Sounds good so far. Yeah, yeah like I, you know, I, I like where this is going. Something like Rock and Rule from the eighties. You know, <laughs> yeah, this is the eighties. Yeah, or maybe it was even earlier than the eighties. I don't know, but our older <laughs> listeners may remember. That's just my. That's what. It's the sort of thing that comes to me in the shower. And again, <laughs> we go back to the shower. <laughs> so, so the liches. 
Yeah. All of us hope to escape death, right? Who doesn't? But most of us know this this hope is futile because death comes for us all eventually. Still, some hope to escape such a fate. When such a creature dedicates their life to escaping the inevitable, when their hunger and thirst for power leads them down a path of corruption and wickedness, they will sometimes engage in rituals that will transform them into a lich. Immortality, however, is not without a price. For the individual who has dedicated themselves to becoming a lich, well, they will lose every aspect of their humanity in the process of their transformation. The lich was first introduced in 1975, an OD&D supplement for Greyhawk. Um, it is described in there as a skeletal monster that was formerly either a magic user or a cleric in life. How very underwhelming. <laughs> the lich appeared um, and was further developed in the OD&D supplement 3, Eldritch Wiz- Wizardry, uh, in 1976, and has been in every edition of Dungeons & Dragons since that time. Uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd edition, for instance, from 1989 to 1999. Yeah, the, for anybody who hasn't really experienced the old D&D rules, that description of um, of a lich was was pretty much what you got for almost every monster. Yeah, it was like one-liners. Yeah, and uh, the rest you kind of had to um, had to fill in. Create yourself. Yeah, and uh, the artwork the artwork didn't the artwork didn't do a lot to kind of fill in the a little bit. Gaps, and, you so. know, if it depends on how vivid your imagination was and how many um, movies you watched. If you weren't a horror fa- uh, fan, then you didn't have a lot to work off of. Yeah. And Keith Richards and Steven Tyler back in '75 <laughs> were still like in their primes, yeah. so you couldn't, you know, you couldn't use them as points of reference. Well, they're right? only they're only tenth level. Yeah, <laughs> they weren't <laughs> they weren't ready for the transformation. They were yet. lich larvae. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. So, how does one become a lich? Uh, how does one become a lich? A long life of rock and roll, touring, and drugs. Um, in the in the D and D world, in the sir. D and D. Yes, yes, in the fantasy world. So, well, in life, a lich was a high-level cleric or wizard. In the ancient writings of Dungeons and Dragons lore, to become a lich, the cleric, or back in those days, magic user, which was the word they used for wizard. I don't know why they didn't use wizard, but Gary will never tell us. Uh, They must have been at least 14th level in their mortal life, but it is said that 18th level was most common for liches. It is expected for a new lich to drop in levels upon its creation. So, for example, if you're a level 18 wizard who recently became a lich, the lich would now be a level 17. Um, one thing to note is a lich will never exist beneath 10th level. The preparation for becoming a lich begins during the mortal life of the individual, and the ritual must be completed before their first death. If the individual dies at some point during the process of becoming a lich, they must be resurrected and must start the process over if they wish to complete it. The spells necessary for becoming a lich are Magical Jar, Trap the Soul, and Enchant an Item. The individual endeavoring to become a lich will also need a special potion and something to jar into. This vessel, the item that is to be jarred into, is prepared with the enchant an item spell cast upon it. This item cannot be a common item. It must be in a high quality and at least 2,000 gold piece in value item. The item must also survive the spell being cast upon it. 
Should this high-value item survive the enchant an item spell cast upon it? Trap the soul is then cast on the item. This spell has a chance of failure as well, but the higher the level the caster is, the better the chances of success are. Should the candidate for Lichdom meet with success on the aforementioned, they will then cast Magic Jar on the vessel and will enter it. The instant the candidate enters the jar, they will lose a level and all the benefits thereof. Their soul is now stored in the jar. The candidate must then return to their own body and rest for anywhere from two to seven days. So demanding is this ritual and the ordeal placed upon the individual that they will instantly lose their top three levels of spells. These will not come back until their two to seven day rest period has been completed. This is effectively the candidate's first death. This jar, as you have probably already guessed, is the Lich's phylactery. Yeah, a process. Yeah, quite a process. Well, this is when this shows commitment. This it, shows commitment to the you know to the endeavor. It does. It's like getting a tattoo. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, you don't do it halfway. Yeah, you don't. You know, you got to like really think about it. Is like, is the two monkeys fucking a football tattoo that I'm going to get? <laughs> A good choice, or should I go with something like a heart that says "mom" in it? You know which which one is better. Once once you start on this road, it's it's kind of tricky to. So that's where your monkey humping the Fetish. mom the mom heart uh, is that where that came from? You couldn't make up your mind. I I, I couldn't, so I I I blended it. No, I, no, just, it's it was well done. Mom is still pissed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But you have your capuchin everywhere as you go. Let's talk about the phylactery, Bill. We shall. Every lich must have a phylactery to store its life force within. A lich can only construct but one phylactery. Should this be destroyed, they will not be able to create a replacement. Should the phylactery of a lich be destroyed, the lich will not be harmed in any way. Though the next time they are slain, their death will be permanent. The phylactery of the lich is usually a metal box containing strips of paper or parchment with magical symbols written upon it. A lich will almost never carry their phylactery with them. This is far too important an item to be discovered on their person. A lich will go through great pains to ensure that their phylactery is in a well-concealed area and safe from the curious. The next time the individual dies, they will return to the phylactery no matter how far away and no matter what obstacles stand between them and their jar. For the individual to exit the jar, they must have a recently dead body within 90 feet of that jar. This recently killed creature can be anything and does not necessarily have to be a humanoid. This body is only temporary. The lich will strive to locate its own body and transport that body to the location of the phylactery. Destruction of the lich's own body is only possible with the disintegrate spell, and even then, there is a chance it will not work. The burning or dismemberment of the body will damage it, but won't totally destroy it. The remnants of the corpse will still radiate a locate object spell for an unlimited range. And while it may be difficult for the lich to obtain these remnants, should it find them, its temporary body will consume them. And after approximately a week, the new body will grow from the temporary one. This body will be almost exactly like the original body. Once in the original body, the lich will regain all of its abilities that they lost while they're, tempor- while they're in their temporary body. Every time a lich dies and returns to their jar, it will always lose a level. Once it reaches 10th level, the next trip back to the jar will be its last. So I wonder, I wonder what happens to the lich in the jar afterwards. You know, it's, uh, you know now it travels back to the jar. It's in the jar. 
does it does it go on grandma's shelf next to the you mean once it reaches 10th level it yeah. can't go any lower yeah i think so yeah it just yeah. she puts it next to the jam and the green beans that she canned over the summer oh. <laughs> you know don't open that one sweetheart that's that's my canned lich yeah. <laughs> it's not pudding yeah <laughs> They're great on English muffins. <laughs> there the you nooks go. and crannies soak up all that lich. Yeah, soak up lich, yes. A little sprinkle of cinnamon on your lich. Ah, <laughs> uh, the potion. Ah, Let's talk about the potion. Special potion. Yes, the uh, lich's cocktail, if you will. So we talked about that potion in the beginning, but what is it? It's, uh, well, the preparation of the body of a living individual is done with this potion. And the potion requires, this is quite a shopping list. It is. And I wonder, is. I wonder where one would get this. Uh, Whole Foods. Whole Foods. <laughs> most definitely, yeah. Uh, two pinches of arsenic. Yeah, you get that in a bulk. Yep. One pinch of belladonna. A measure of fresh phase spider venom that must be under 30 days old. A measure of fresh wyvern venom, which must be under 60 days old. The blood of a dead humanoid infant killed by a mixture of arsenic and belladonna. The heart of a virgin humanoid killed by wyvern venom. One quart of blood from a vampire or person infected with vampirism. And the ground reproductive glands of seven giant moths. Ouch. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe not Whole Foods. Yeah, maybe not. It's just... Um, you, you might have to go to some, a couple roadside stands for this. And apparently you have to check the expiration dates. Yeah, yeah, you don't want you don't want anything that's uh, Make sure it's fresh. past its best by date. You yes, know? yes. Make sure the packaging has never been opened. Wow. Okay. Uh, once gathered, the items are mixed in the order given under the light of a full moon. When the potion is consumed in its entirety, the body is now prepared for becoming a lich. But the consumption of the potion does not ensure that one becomes a lich. There are several unfortunate things that could occur, making the potion unsuccessful. There may be no effect at all, with the exception of an individual losing all its body hair. They could fall victim to feeble mind. They could become paralyzed. They could lose dexterity points or become permanently deaf, blind, or mute. And I'm sure there's a couple others you can add to that laundry list if you wish. Yeah, after after reading that, I was I think like, any oh, of those are just bad enough. Yeah, I was like, shit. I think the three of us got a hold of some. Bad lich potion, you know, because well, I still have my hair, so it's you two got the bad lich potion. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, t- I told you not to drink out of my drink. Yeah, no, and there's Lewis hair shaming us again. <laughs> All right, why don't we talk about their abilities? Yeah, so uh, there are many variations in abilities that a lich has. This can be attributed to the variations and abilities that the Lich candidates had during their mortal life. I mean, that makes sense after mm-hmm. all. Yep. With that being said, every Lich is a unique individual, but they all share some common abilities. A Lich will radiate an aura of fear. This is a shroud of malice and negative energy that pulses forth from the Lich. An individual that encounters such a creature has a chance of being affected as though by a fear spell of a level equal to that of the Lich. The touch of a lich can cause paralysis in individuals that is so great that they appear to be dead. Only upon the most detailed scrutiny will it be revealed that the individual affected is not in fact dead but paralyzed. Only by certain magical means such as remove curse can this paralysis be undone. The lich is immune to cold and electricity and cannot be polymorphed by anyone other than themselves. In addition, mind-affecting spells and the abilities um, have no effect on the lich. 
this is um this is cool stuff too when you when when you yeah. look at it yeah you know, the, um, yeah I mean just walk in the room and it's like fear me yeah fear me and, and it makes sense too I mean if you yeah. see um some skeletal creatures standing there all gaunt and 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 nasty looking. I, I can see all the glass beer. Yeah, without him even trying. After you, after you got Keith Richards' autograph, you know, you'd probably, probably run away. But you better hope he doesn't listen to our. Yeah, podcast. He, he, he's gonna stop <laughs> if that's the case. Or I love you, Keith Richards. You're a fine musician. Um, yeah, and actually, I was, I was uh, not not me personally, but my character was was paralyzed uh, by a lich once uh, years ago. And oddly enough, the party I was traveling in were a bunch of assholes and they looted what they thought was my corpse down to like <laughs> taking like my pants and stuff like that. But I wasn't dead. So did, did they bury you? They did not. Be, they, they were they were such jerks. They didn't even bother to give me like a dignified burial. They just took all my stuff and my pants <laughs> and, and just left you left me there. Pants list. Just loincloth. And uh... yeah, no. <laughs> no. Oh, no. yeah. Your your adventure went commando. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Must have been a barbarian. Oh, the breeze. <laughs> yeah. They um and and for you you listeners out there who I know you're immediately going oh what a douche thing that Lou did that wasn't I wasn't even playing with Lou <laughs> I was about to say I don't remember that yeah one. that was uh I wasn't I <laughs> he had an intent look on his face like geez I you know it's just I I just don't remember doing yeah, that it's a <laughs> you know it's a cycle of bad D and D relationships right <laughs> that. I, <laughs> And I just stuck with Lou for like 30 years because the devil you know is better than the devil you don't, I guess. Well, cursed with those teddy bear-like looks you have. Yeah. <laughs> well, bald teddy bear now. Why don't we go over some of the variations? Sure, let's do that. All right, there are some variants uh, among liches. A demi-lich is a creature that turns to, to the astral projection to obtain knowledge. Using astral projection, they travel across other planes, exploring other worlds and gathering information in the process. The process of traveling by means of astral projection will eventually deteriorate the body of the individual until only a skull or a single bony hand remains of the individual. So you're telling me that if I travel the astral plane long enough, all that's going to be left is one hand and a head? One or the other. One or the Well, that's uh, the price you pay for knowledge, huh? How about I, I tell you, yeah. That, just- and this is why we shouldn't spend all day playing video games because basically that's the modern version of astral projection. Kids, get off the video games, go play wiffle ball, or you may end up a bony hand or just a head. Or better yet, just go sit at a table with some friends and play some D&D. Play some D&D. That's an even there better idea. Even better. You'll we be all to- have our bodies that are in between our bony hands and our head. See? <laughs> Perfectly healthy way of entertaining yourself. I'm not going there. Thank you. Non-human creatures can also become a lich. In the Forgotten Realm setting, an elf can become a bearlorn. An illithid can become an illilich, and also known as an alhoon. A dragon can become a dracolich, a creature that, amongst other dragons, is greatly feared for they're even more powerful than an ordinary lich. I, I read a little bit about these uh, bailnorns. And bailnorns, yeah. Pretty, pretty cool, like they're good guy liches. Yeah. As good as they're, a they're evil like lich a, could be, yeah. And ancestral guardians, they are. They're they're kind of like the good guys of the of the lich world. And um, the Alhoon, I think, is pretty neat. I just, I am, I imagine that being the call of the illithid lich, the Alhoon. You know, <laughs> that's how you, that's how you know he's getting close to you in the caverns because you hear that echoing through there. 
As long as you don't confuse it with the owlbear going, Gerhoo. Gerhoo. That, that <laughs> is, in fact, uh, what a real owlbear sounds like is the Gerhoo. Gerhoo. Yeah. There'll be a T-shirt coming <laughs> on our Teespring store. Not the only shameless plug we got going. Excellent. Why don't you move on to our There's next There's a lot of topic. shamelessness going on <laughs> with this group. So he is called by many names. Among them are the Chain God, the Maimed God, the Master of the Spider Throne, the Whispered One, the Dying King, the Lord of the Rotted Tower, and the Undying King. He walks amongst us on the prime material plane, a being of great evil. He reigns over destructive secrets, magic, hidden knowledge, and intrigue. He is, of course, the Arch Lich Vecna. You can't. You can't talk, talk about, about liches without I was going. I about to yeah. say the same thing, yeah. 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 He, he is the epitome of liches. He's one of my favorites in of, of like those iconic bad guys. You yeah. Know, Vecna, Strahd. Soth. Soth. Uh, yeah. I think those are my, my top three. That's probably almost everybody's top three. When you talk yeah. liches, those names pop up, you know, routinely and systematically. They're the ones everyone knows. And, and Vecna's... Vecna's got a story too that you can get behind, really. When you when you and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but he does like you, yeah, you can you can get it. You know what? I, I see how he but, ended, but up. but then well, you see how he started. Yeah, yeah, and then things kind of went south for him. Yeah, he, he went down the rabbit hole hard. I, you know, I I I would think he did. He 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 went to bad places, but pretty successful. I mean, he's a god now, right? I mean, that's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. something like his mother'd be proud. <laughs> Everybody else wasting their time in college. Vecna's like, screw that. I'm going to be a god. There you go. And there he is. Wow. (laughs) One cannot begin to speak of the lich without mentioning Vecna. Vecna was a terrifyingly evil lich king who managed to elevate himself to godhood thousands of years ago. He was betrayed by his chief lieutenant, Kass. Murdered, he disappeared from Orth, leaving behind only a legend of his malice and cruelty and two artifacts the eye and the hand of Vecna. You know, I, I just, I, I think of, um, like when you put the eye of Vecna in your head, I always imagine you look kind of like Marty Feldman. <laughs> you know, you remember Marty Feldman from yep. the Mel Brooks oh, movies? Yeah. The guy was great, but hump? he had to look hump? it up. <laughs> look it up on the Google kids. If you don't know who Marty <laughs> Feldman, Feldman is. is one of the greatest method actors ever. Yeah, he I, was awesome. And you will never see the eye of Vecna the <laughs> same again. <laughs> Um, and the and the bill the proper pronunciation is oith 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 oh oith oh yeah okay got it yeah oith, oith. it's hard to say that seriously oith. yeah it's, I, I'm going with oith bill get your sword we have to say oith I have to say oith <laughs> please carry on <laughs> the first mention of Vecna is in the original Dungeons and Dragons rule set in the Eldritch Wizardry supplement by Brian Bloom. Here we see the two, perhaps, most notorious artifacts in Dungeons & Dragons history, the hand and the eye of Vecna. From this point, almost 50 years ago, we began our gaming relationship with the Arch-Lich Vecna. Vecna was born a human some countless centuries ago in the Flan city of Fleeth, on a world known as Oith. Vecna was a member of nobility. (laughs) I just love the way that sounds. <laughs> yeah, okay, I, I can go. I can get into it. Okay, Vector was a member of nobility, born to the privilege. Uh, he learned magic from his mother, Mazel, 
but his tutelage did not last long, for she was killed after being put on trial for witchcraft. It was then that the young Vecna turned to the dark arts, hoping this craft would afford him the opportunity to take revenge on the individuals responsible for his mother's death. In time, he mastered those dark arts he strove to learn, but mere mastery of such arts was not enough. Vecna achieved a level of mastery unmatched by any mortal before him or after him. Rumors persist that he was able to gain such terrifying skill because he was taught by the serpent himself, Mokslik, that which is believed to be the very personification of arcane magic itself. A thousand years after his birth, Vecna's opportunity for revenge presented itself. Now a lich of terrible power and the ruler of a mighty empire, he laid siege to the city of Fleeth with an army of undead and wizards. It is said that during this siege, mighty Vecna was almost slain by a team of clerics who struck him with holy light. He was immediately rushed from the battlefield by a trusted general, Asnarak. Nearly gone, Vecna was nursed back to health, or some facsimile thereof. Now, once again well, Vecna led his army again against the city, this time taking it. With Fleeth about to fall, the city officials surrendered, begging Vecna for mercy, offering the lich wealth and the city itself, but only under the condition that he spare the citizenry. It was not wealth or the city that he wanted, though. Vengeance was still on his mind. Vecna set his chief lieutenant, Cass, to torturing and avenging killing a city official named Arto, and then his entire family. He did this in front of the other city officials. Still unsatisfied, he commanded his forces to slaughter every living being within the city. Once finished, Vecna had the disembodied heads piled before the surviving city officials. The heads of the officials' families were featured prominently. Then he granted them mercy and allowed them to leave the city. Some say that death itself isn't the worst fate one can suffer. And on that bloody day, Vecna proved that to be true. At the peak of his reign over the empire, Vecna was betrayed and slain by his most trusted lieutenant, a vampire called Cass. It was a magical sword that Vecna had created for Cass that spelled his end. So fierce was the battle that only the left hand and eye survived. These, of course, were to become known as the hand and eye of Vecna. Death is not always forever, at least not for Vecna. In time, he returned and rose to great power, becoming a demigod of magic and secrets in the world of Orth. Now with a cult following, his cultists put into motion a series of events with the intention of elevating him from demigod status to that of greater god. This plan never made it to fruition, and Vecna was imprisoned in the demiplane of Ravenloft. It is difficult to keep a good villain down, and such was the case with Vecna. Eventually he managed to break free from his imprisonment and was finally successful in elevating himself to the position of a greater god, but only after he stole the power from Luz. Now, a greater god, Vecna set his sights on the city of Sigil, which he broke into and came dangerously close to manipulating existence itself to his very whim. It was only after a stalwart party of adventurers freed loose and ejected Vecna from Sigil that the very existence of the multiverse was saved. Now, back on the world of Oith, he is greatly <laughs> reduced in power. No longer greater god, but still a demigod. That's quite a story. That, that yeah. That um, he he's got a little bit of history going there. Yeah, he he smacks of of villainy. You know, yeah. I mean, he's one of those. <laughs> he's just one of those characters that 
you know what? He's kind of like the quintessential bad guy. He, it should say Darth Vecna. Yeah. Uh, it's got a ring to it, though, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It's got a very nice ring to it. You know, he's he's like the um, he's akin to the Nazis in the Indiana Jones movies. You know, it's like the, the the Nazis were in those movies. They were like the well, I mean, in history itself, they're pretty awful. But in those movies, they were like the the quintessential villains. Yes, you know, it was very easy to root against them. And the minute they they came on, you know, they they came on scene, you knew they were. They were the bad guys from from Jump and Vecna's, Vecna's very much so. Oh, agreed, like that. agreed. Then you have his his general, you know, Cas, who in him in in and of himself is a very formidable foe. Yep, uh, so much so that he was able to dispatch Vecna. I want to say that Cass is uh, now living in Ravenloft. Yeah, as well. It's kind of like the um, well, kind of like well, the Vecna, Florida Vec- for bad guys. Yeah, huh? Vecna escaped, but Cas is still there. You know, that's where you go when you yeah. retire as a bad guy, when the union's like, yeah, you know what? You qualify for your pension. Go to Ravenloft. Get a condo. Yeah, here's here's your golden, uh, you know, you know uh, timepiece. Well, that uh, way they don't have to hear about them anymore. Yeah, it's just <laughs> you, you go there and you play golf, you know, with Strahd. And, After you're done, have a couple of drinks in the 19th hole. Yeah. On your way home, slaughter a village. I hear the uh, I hear the Bloom brothers from TSR. They live, they live in Ravenloft now. <laughs> Fitting. Can, can I say that? Is that... It's okay. It's okay. It's, okay. <laughs> it's just Lou. Lou speaks volumes with his eyes yes, and his facial does. expression. <laughs> it's when he puts his hand, his face in his hands, and he shakes and his he head. And he shakes his head. I was like, whoops. Whoop, we know that one's getting cut. He, he, he does that more with Bill than he does with me, though. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Very true. Yeah, let's talk about some books. I, You know what? Uh, there's books associated with, with Vecna as well. He's kind of like the Michael Crichton of liches, I guess. <laughs> So there's uh, there's two books related to directly related to Vecna though it's believed that he only penned one. Uh, the first is a book known as Ordinary Necromancy. It's just, just I just see him sitting there at his desk with his glasses on, you know, typing away on a, on an old typewriter because yeah. he's a lich, so he probably doesn't know how to use a word processor or Microsoft Word. This book was was written by Vecna himself. Uh, the second is the book of vile darkness. Uh, you guys, you guys got to know about the book of vile darkness. Yeah, it's actually sitting right next to you, staring at you. <laughs> there it is. That is that is a little that is a little creepy. We'll have Lou uh, post bound a picture in of human it. skin. Then we'll have we'll have, we'll have Lou post a picture of it one of these days. Uh, the uh, we got to do we have to do an episode on this. The book of vile darkness. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah, that is such a that's a a that's, cool book. It, it is. Yeah, maybe we can get um. Bruce Campbell to come on the show. Oh, there you and go. Talk about that. I mean, he's known for his uh, mishaps with books bound in human <laughs> flesh. This uh, book of vile darkness, he didn't actually write himself, though he's often credited with making additions of some significance to the book. So, does that mean he was the editor? Yeah, kind of. They, they, yeah. <laughs> they sent it to like the Vecna Publishing Company. Is like this is rubbish. <laughs> Not enough blood. Yeah, it's like when I write the episodes and 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 Bill and and, and Lou like shake their heads and make those faces where they scrunch their faces up there and they're like, oh, this is misspelling. There's grammar errors. Do better. We're sending this one off the word. Yep. <laughs> we would be remiss if we did not mention the Book of Keeping, uh, Toman uh, Yugoloth summoning. Vecna had no hand in writing this, but it is said that his cult is heavily linked to the book. 
owning some of the only copies known in existence. Yeah, because who doesn't want to summon a Yugoloth? You ever stood around? Just last week, I was like, shit, you know, I wouldn't mind learning how to summon a Yugoloth. Oh, just just last week, I had a fire going in the backyard. Yeah, you know, just could have um, used the one then. My, my wife was yelling yeah. at me not to throw the kittens in there. So yeah, it's like, a, but honey, I'm summoning Yugoloths. Yeah, I just, you know. This is how you do it. It's in it's, the it's in the book. It's the weekend. Okay. It's the weekend. It's, I got, the, it's fun I got, time. I got my copy at Walden Books in 87. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was in the discount bin. Next to Shatner's memoirs and I am not Spock. <laughs> and Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. So how, how how would you use a Lich or even Vecna in a game? I think I'd throw the Lich first and hold Vecna off until they were really, really high level. Yeah, really, really, really high level. But yeah, even the Liches, um, they still got to be, you have to have a, a, a well-gelled team. And just of, just of, like our players, oh yeah. <laughs> well, we always come through at the end. <laughs> it's like gelatin. They're like gelatin when you add too much water. <laughs> you know, it's it's got more sway and less jiggle. <laughs> just, it leans one side, then leans back to the other. <laughs> yeah, I I I would have fun with a lich, but I I would be holding. It. This would be a a long scenario. I, I could see using a lich as you know the puppeteer for a couple of years and let them build their characters up, let them gel when you, when it feels like they're they're a cohesive unit or at least more often than not a cohesive unit. Then let them get a little closer and you know use the stuff that the lich would surround himself with and basically let them know what they're going up against and whether or not they actually want to. Give them the chance to bow out because in my on my table there will be a high level of mortality. I always I always thought you know when when thinking of liches, like what happens, and we use the you know we use that kind of tattoo remorse thing. But what what happens if you make that decision to be a lich? You go through the whole process and then you're like, well this you know this sucks. I don't want to I don't want to do this anymore. You know I want to be able to live and feel and breathe again. And then, but how do I do that? So I would probably make my lich someone who's regretted becoming a lich. And while, you know, still has plans of being wicked, wicked and power hungry, but would be like, you know, I need, I need a real body. You know, I need. Well, I could see someone in that position being very resentful of the living. Yeah. Not be, necessarily because, just, you know, just, you know, I'm going to do these evil acts because I have great aspirations just simply is pissed off and hates the living. Yeah, and what's what's the backstory for that? You know, maybe maybe they had to make some sort of sacrifice because they were the only one who could. And then, you know, their sacrifice saved countless thousands of people because their power as a lich was able to vanquish some some foe of some some sort. Right. And and now everybody's living a really good life and celebrating, but here I am, a withered husk of of what I used to be. I have a ton of power, and but then, and then cast off because no one wants you, no one wants a dead person walking around going, "Yay, high five!" Yeah, because it freaks yeah. them out. Yeah. It's like, so, oh, we, you know, not, you, now we he's cast off. He's here. by himself. You know, they're living the grand life, and you're dead forever with all this power that you don't want to use or or can't use, and now you're pissed off at everything that's living. Yeah. So what do you what do you do you you send a bunch of adventurers in to cheer them up. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what the the adventurers are, are there for is to take out the lich because now what the lich is doing is the lich is turning all these living people 
into this this army of undead. It's like, okay, the whole world is going to be undead. That way I won't be a monster anymore. The few actual living things will, will be the monsters, and I, I won't stand out so much because now everything's dead. Everybody's a zombie or... Yeah, I'm no longer the witches. minority. I, you yeah. know, I, I, I am on top of the pile, and and granted, it's all slow moving and rotting. But you know, I'm I'm not the the unique person anymore. The living are because just uh just to have a lich be sitting at the top of a cult just seems I don't know maybe it's overdone. It's easy. It's easy. Yeah, and, and, and you're right. It is overdone. So give him a backstory that that has a little feeling to it. And, yeah, and and that way there's purpose and. That might explain some of the actions or justify the actions that you were going to do and make it a little bit more interesting. Those those opportunities to kind of relate to the bad guy is really, really important in in a good role-playing session. Whereas you may relate to him, be like, oh, man, I can see how that happened. I, I still have to kill him. But, you know, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I get it. I see why he's doing or she's doing what what they're doing. It makes for makes for interesting Makes for really good group storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, because those players at your table are going to add so much depth to it. We've mentioned in a number of our episodes the relatability to your villains makes them more villainous when they do their villainy. Yeah, Black Panther. Yeah, you know, that was my. <laughs> you know, as much as I much as I love the the superhero, I've been a fan for uh, since the seventies of, of Black Panther. I, you know what? I'm in Camp Killmonger. You know, I I yep. get it. Exactly, because they're relatable. Yeah, that's what made them awesome. And that's this week's episode on the Lich. And of course, the most iconic of Liches, Vecna. Look for more DM Quick Tips, our new segment, A Monster in the Minutes, and all the new mini episodes for this month. Halloween is in October, and that means all our Dungeon Masters Dojo content in October is Halloween-themed. See you next week in the Dojo. That's going to conclude this episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Please subscribe to the podcast for more great content. If you'd like to hear a particular topic, you can reach us out on Facebook at the Dungeon Masters Dojo. Or you can drop us an email at the Dungeon Masters Dojo at gmail.com. Thank you and have a good day.